Turn to uh, Romans chapter tw- uh, 13, verses 8 to 10. In just a moment, we'll be there. This is the sixth and last sermon in our series on boundaries. And we are a disciple-making church, just as they're making disciples in Central Asia. So we exist to make disciples who are making disciples, living and loving like Jesus. You know, Jesus lived and practiced healthy boundaries. And we asked the question long ago, you know, what is a disciple? And we said it's one who's following after Jesus and being changed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus. So this series is really about the life change that comes from looking at the boundaries of Jesus and then putting those boundaries into place in our own lives. The hard part about boundaries is making decisions others don't like, right? And then communicating those boundaries to others and then sticking with them. Love and, love and limits can go together. People ask the question, can I set limits and still be a loving person? The answer is yes. If you're a student, you always need to be setting limits with your amount of TV and movies and video games you play, right? If you're single, you always need to be setting boundaries and limits with people who are romantically interested in you with whom you have not the same feelings. With respect to money, you always need to be setting boundaries lest you accumulate a mountain of debt. So we come this morning to the law of evaluation, which says that we need to evaluate the effects of setting our boundaries and then be responsible to the people we set the boundaries with. Sometimes when you set boundaries with somebody, it will cause pain. We we, we cause pain when we make decisions that others do not like. Let's suppose that your son or daughter is off to college and they're coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and they make a request that they're going to bring home their partner and sleep in the same room. Now, your conviction is that marriage is, you know, a covenant between a man and woman and you're not comfortable with the consummation of this relationship apart from covenant. You follow the drift. So you create a boundary, you know, namely, not on my watch, not in this house. So do you think your son or daughter will say, Mom and Dad, I see the wisdom of your decision. I respect your boundary and so agree with you. Or do you think they more might likely say, Mom and Dad, you are so old-fashioned. Practically all my friends are living together. You know, what's the big deal? Suppose the son or daughter changed the story a little bit, now wants to... Um, come home to stay, right? And you say, well, there's chores involved in staying here, and there's also rent. You're trying to teach them responsibility, right? You're going to stay here, you're going to pay some rent. Now, do you think they're going to say, thank you, mom and dad, for that boundary that you're setting, that now you're imposing upon me chores and rent? Or would they say something like, what I make is mine, and I should keep all that I make, right? I feel entitled to stay here for free. The point of the story is, I'm telling you, is that we're going to cause pain in people when we make boundaries they don't like. But we're governed by love, you see. If love is my motivation, I always want what's best for you. Love is never going to harm somebody, though it may hurt them, right? And there's this big difference between hurting them and harming them. The culture we're living in does not create boundaries. Boundaries are meant for your protection. 
You're allowed to set boundaries. You can say that to yourself. I am allowed to make boundaries, right? Um, young men I work with um, sometimes are, have issues with viewing. And they put boundaries on themselves, filters on their computers to track and record the um, sites they go to. They, hold, they ask brothers in their life to hold them accountable. They resolve to not have a hidden life, and they've chosen to live an open life. You see, they're creating boundaries with what they view on the Internet. We know that our greatest regrets come from our lack of boundaries, and we know that our greatest injuries happen when people lack boundaries. I've known plenty of people also recovering from affairs, and it's important to put boundaries in place. And the number one step is to completely cut off that relationship that's inappropriate. Number two is to give full access to all forms of communication, cell phone, computer, to people. Third, to become transparent, hiding nothing. And then to rebuild the trust in relationship. The first point is that in boundaries, we cause pain when we make a boundary that others don't like. Secondly, we cause pain when we confront people who are wrong. So let's move the illustration from home to work. Sharon McKinley, before she was our worship director, was a hairstylist. Did you know that about Sharon? She was a hairstylist. And she saved up her money to buy an expensive pair of shears. Every six months, these shears would be sharpened. So she would give these shears to this person who would come to her shop, take possession of her shears, and then take them to his shop, and he would sharpen them. When these shears were only six months old, he took them to his shop, and he dropped them. Now, they didn't survive the crash. So this man called to say to Sharon, I have some bad news and good news. The bad news is I have dropped your shears. The good news is they're still under warranty, and you can... Um, <laughs> Send the shears in and get another one under the warranty. Now, what do you think Sharon would say? She said, that would be wrong, right? You want me to call in to the company and tell them I dropped the shears, and then because I dropped the shears, I deserve a replacement. You see, she set a boundary based on her conviction that to lie would be wrong. She said, let me tell you how this is going to work. You drop my shears, you ruin them, and you're going to buy me some new ones. Now, this guy wanted her to get a $50 pair of shears, right? He's going to give her a $50 pair of shears. Now, this was Sharon's $300 pair of shears. He said, let me tell you how it's going to work. You're going to replace the shears that you dropped. Clearly, it would be wrong to lie in this situation, right, and take false responsibility. So here's the principle. You ready? Love does no harm to its neighbor. Now, there's a big difference between hurting somebody and harming them. The parent with convictions who says no to their son or daughter hasn't harmed them. They might get their feelings hurt. It might not make them angry. They may change their plans for the holiday. But there's a big difference between hurting someone and harming them. So I would agree that a son or daughter is outside the will of God. Potentially we could be harming them 
by not hurting them, if you follow what I'm trying to say. The parent who says their son or daughter living at home, you need to pay this amount of rent, isn't harming them. They might get their feelings hurt. They might get angry. They might make other arrangements. But there's a big difference between hurting and harming. So, here we go. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. The principle, again, is that of evaluation. Here's what it says. Let no debt remain outstanding. To resolve your debts, you see, you need to have a boundary with regard to your debts. Because if you're not boundary with the amount of money you spend, you're going to acquire debts. Now, some have interpreted this to mean that a Christian should never, ever go into debt. But I think that the, the true meaning of the verse is we should resolve or pay the debts that we owe. That is, if you have acquired a house, you should pay your mortgage. If you have bought a car on credit, you should pay your monthly bill. If you go to school, you should pay your school debt. We enter into obligations, we should repay them. Now, in America, what's happening is we see things, we want things, and we charge things, right? I want you to know that you can admire something without acquiring something, right? So Christians should repay their debts. Now, this teaches us something about Jesus and what Jesus did for us, because there was a debt that we could not repay. Would you agree that we had a debt toward God that we could not pay? The magnitude of God's love, which we just sang about, is measured by four criteria, which we can clearly see. The first is the degree to which the person loved does not deserve to be loved. The second is the greatness of the price paid to love that person. The third is the greatness of the good that is done for the person when he is loved. And the fourth is the level of desire that God has for the good of his beloved. First, consider the degree to which God loves you. Romans says that when we are still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will a man die for a righteous man. But God demonstrates his love for us in that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see the magnitude of the love of God and loving us enough to go to a cross to die for sinners. How great must the love of God be for us that he would die for us yet in our sin. Consider the price he is willing to pay. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. You see, the love of God is not measured by the fact only that I don't deserve it. It's measured by the price that he was willing to pay to cover my sin. Consider the good that comes from the love of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, the greatest giver, so loved the greatest passion, the world, the greatest need. 
God so loved the world that he gave the greatest gift, his only begotten son, his only son, that whosoever believes the greatest decision should not perish. The greatest promise and receive eternal life. The greatest of all possessions. The greatest of all treasures. Since we had a debt we could not pay, Christ paid a debt he did not owe. And therefore, before God, our debt has been resolved. We owe God nothing, but yet we have a continuing debt. And what is that debt? It says, accept the continuing debt to love one another. What is he saying? Paul would say about his own life that I feel myself under obligation to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and barbarians. <laughs> when you say someone's under obligation, you say they have a debt. He was talking about his continuing debt to love all mankind. How beautiful is this word love that God loves us with and this love that becomes incarnated in the believer's life. We have a continuing debt then to love one another, to love our fellow man. So how is this love expressed? Well, we find here that Paul begins to lay out for us some boundaries. He says the commandments say, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Do you read it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no harm to its neighbor. The first of these commandments, the first of these boundaries established here is do not commit adultery. Sexual fidelity is a boundary. Nobody stays faithful without intentionality. You have to love your marriage enough to protect it. You have to put boundaries around yourself. If there was something before, do not reignite it on the internet. If there's something not there, don't start something on the internet. Don't say we are just friends. Put boundaries around your marriage because you have to protect it. Who would say that the workplace is a right place for affairs to happen? When men and women work together and eat together and travel together, all kinds of things can happen unless there are boundaries. Don't put yourself in a place where you will be tempted. And if you are tempted, say no and go. <laughs> That's what the Bible says about temptation. Say no and go. Joseph was a handsome guy, well built. And uh, God showed his favor to Joseph while he was in Potiphar's house. The problem was Mrs. Potiphar wanted to have an affair. And she stalked him for a while. And then she tried the direct approach. And Joseph hightailed out of there. He said, how can I sin against God and my master by doing this with you? Do not commit adultery. 
put boundaries around yourself to prevent yourself from going in that direction. There was a woman, and she was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus' ministry. Remember the story. She was hauled in front of the crowd. Was she naked there in front of them? Did they give her a sheet? But the Pharisees said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, it says to stone such women. Under the Old Testament law, the person committed adultery, they were stoned. What do you say, <laughs> Jesus? And Jesus began to write something in the sand. <laughs> what did he write? We really don't know. Could he be writing the Ten Commandments? Could he be writing the names of those who had broken those laws, beginning with the oldest first? <laughs> and the Pharisees kept badgering Jesus, condemning the woman, accusing her of the wrong she'd done. And Jesus got up and he said, he who is without sin, let that person be the first one to throw a stone. And one by one, these accusers began to leave. And Jesus then said, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir, they've all left. He says, neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. Start fresh. So the first of these is, in terms of not harming your, army, uh, not, not harming your uh, neighbor, is do not commit adultery. The second is, do not murder. You know, when you love your neighbor, you will set boundaries and regard human life as sacred. That's a value that's departing from America, isn't it? That life is sacred. A surgeon knows when they operate on the life of a, a life of a human being is at stake, is in their hands. It's a solemn responsibility. A police officer knows when they're fired upon and when they shoot back, they're shooting to kill. The life of a human being may be taken. It's a solemn responsibility. A soldier knows that if they're sent into a battle zone, a war zone, they have an objective to take out the enemy. It's a solemn responsibility. The commandment here in the King James Version was translated, thou shalt not kill. And that has been wrongly interpreted to mean that you should never defend yourself. Someone breaks into your home, you should let them take your life. Let them do harm to your family. I believe in the right of self-defense. But here's something I want you to say. I believe that life begins at conception. Do you believe that? That life begins at conception. David said, in my mother's womb, God knit me together. And Jeremiah said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before Jeremiah became a man, God knew him. Before he took his first breath, God breathed his life into him. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet. Jeremiah was appointed to prophetic ministry, yet from his mother's womb. But you see, the enemy is a murderer. The enemy wants to kill. And one of the disgraces of America is, for the last 46 years, Abortion has been made legal in America. 
about 1 million to 1.5 million abortions done every year, about 60 million in that time frame. In the very beginning, Pharaoh ordered that the male children be killed by the midwives. And then when Jesus was born, Herod gave an order that all the two-year-olds be killed. You see, the enemy has been out to destroy. But it is God who is sovereign over life. And one of the convictions I have and want you to have as well is that life is sacred. Life should never, ever be taken. The third of these is do not steal. If you take something that isn't yours, you steal. It belongs to somebody else. You ever thought about all the measures we take to protect our property? First of all, we get a fence around our yards, right? And then we get a deadbolt on our door. And then we get a dog to bark when someone invades the territory. And then we get a security system where we put up a sign saying the area is under video surveillance. Now, why would we do all this? Because the Bible teaches that there is individual property rights, and it's wrong to steal. On a corporate level, it is wrong to steal, you see. Setting exorbitantly high interest rates is stealing. Violating intellectual property, stealing. Violating copyright law is stealing. Not paying employees is stealing. Plagiarism is stealing. Thievery is stealing. The Bible teaches us then that if we have a boundary toward this, that we will not steal. And then finally it says, do not covet. To covet is desire something you don't have. If I covet another person's wife, I can commit adultery. If I covet another man's position, I can commit murder. If I covet another man's possessions, I can steal. The opposite of coveting is to be content. So here's the principle, and you find it in verse 10. To sum it all up, love does no harm to its neighbor. The principle of evaluation is this, that love does no harm to its neighbor. <laughs> love does good to its neighbor. Good and healthy boundaries are positive. But we create boundaries around this principle of love does no harm to its neighbor. Galatians says it this way. You, my brothers, are called to freedom. To follow Jesus, you enter into life's fullest freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law has been summed up with the single command to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Let me invite the team back up. You may ask, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor? So he, uh, he, started, he, he said, I'm going to tell you a little story. A man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very dangerous journey. And as he walked down, he was mugged, right? Attacked 
And uh, he was beaten and left half dead. And there were a religious kind of person. A person may show up in a church like this. He was coming from Jerusalem and he saw this person, this shadowy figure beside the road. And as he saw them, saw him, he passed over on the other side because he didn't want to get involved. So another religious guy, a Levite, came by, saw the same man, passed by on the other side. But there came a Samaritan man, and the Samaritan man saw the condition of the fallen man, and he felt something for him, he felt mercy. And he got off of his donkey, and he took some wine out of his saddle, an ancient um, antiseptic, and poured some wine into the wounds. And he took some oil, poured it onto the wounds, began to bandage the man's wounds up, he carried him in his donkey to the town, took care of him. But the man had some boundaries because he says to the innkeepers, here's two coins, and he left the next morning, here, take care of this man. You see, Jesus would ask the question, which of the three was the neighbor? And the man even knew the answer, the one who showed mercy to him. He was the good neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, love will always be demonstrated. And love does no harm to its neighbor. Love is always trying to do good to its neighbor. Love always shows itself to our neighbor. Pray with me. Father, you want to speak to us about what is healthy and good and right. You want our hearts to align with your heart. But so many times, Lord, we drift away from the truth. We uh, justify ourselves and blame others versus taking responsibility. And we know that when we set a boundary with somebody, it's potential that person may be hurt, but we know that we're never to bring harm to them. So God, if you want us to set some good and healthy boundaries, would you give us the wisdom to know what they are and the courage to set them? Would you enable us, Lord, to walk through this world in freedom, not being a slave to people's opinions, not being worried about people's reactions, but loving them enough to confront them and to set healthy boundaries? God, would you just meet us where we are and just show us the path you want us to walk, we ask in Jesus' name.